Have you ever done something? Have you ever done something called a trust fall? I mean, y'all raise your hands. Okay, trust falls. Okay, yeah. So, you know, it's, it's pretty common among you church folks. I remember doing a, a, a trust fall. And if you don't know what that is, it's where you go and perch yourself on like a, a platform that about five or eight feet above. And then, uh, and then you, f- you cross your arms around your chest and you fall backwards. And you wait for somebody to catch you, right? Uh, usually a lot of people. So um, it's one of the favorite games that we play to illustrate the importance of trusting God and also trusting each other with our sins and our struggles in our lives. And so uh, I remember that day where I was, a, I was a counselor and I was doing that with my, 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 my students. And we go up and trudge over to where the trust fall was. We go on the platform. We see a football player twice the size of me, six feet tall. And then we line up on, on the bottom, and he falls, and we catch him. And I'm like, okay, I'm good. I'm all right. My, my turn is next. And I go up. I go on the platform. I'm like, Lord, you're going to do this. You're going to catch me. I put my arms around me. I fall backward only to hear and feel the sound of hard rock behind my head. For a moment there, I thought I died. And I was wondering, wait, that's not the feeling of people catching me. That's the feeling of a hard, dirt rock. And I found out later that at that time, it was so loud that everybody who was within vicinity stopped in their tracks. And it was dead silent. Not even the birds were chirping at that time. They completely just failed me. (laughs) And I wonder how many of us like that. We have gone through trust fall after trust fall after trust fall, and we fall backwards, and we wait for God to catch us, but we feel the thud of reality, the feeling that God did not catch us, the disappointment of that. And we feel the doubt of, well, if this didn't happen the way that I wanted it to be, then why do I even need to bother with trusting in God? Well, we're going to see what it looks like for John when he had a similar type of trust fall, where he literally slammed into the ground, into his doubts. How did he handle his doubts? I want you to stay with me in the scriptures today, in Matthew chapter 11, verses 1 through 6. And uh, it's the first book in the New Testament, right after Malachi, right before Mark, um, one of the first Gospels that tells about the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. We're in the uh, near to the middle. We've made it to Matthew 11. Woohoo! Matthew 11, 1 through 3 reads, When Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent words by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? So how did somebody come who was completely trusting in God and completely do a backpedal and nearly get nailed on the trust fall? Let's rewind it back, back to Jesus' baptism. And we know that Jesus, or during, when Jesus was baptized, 
John had this laser sight vision, like he had a God-given ability to be able to see uh, the Messiah and pinpoint him with laser point accuracy to the point in which when he saw Jesus coming in to be baptized, John said this, here is the lamb that takes away the sins of the world. He had prophet- He was the most prophetically uh, gifted man in all of history. In fact, Jesus, later on in our passage in chapter 11, in verse 11, he goes on to brag about John the Baptist. Look in verse 11. He says, Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. And so what we see here is that there was nobody that was ever born that was even greater than John the Baptist. He had a laser sight. He was the most prophetically gifted man of all history. He was a man on a mission, right? How can a guy who is somebody of John's stature, in a, in literally a level, other than Jesus, in a level all by himself, go from 100% sure in Jesus to 50-50? Well, I think the, the answer lies in this. That John the Baptist, he was one of the greatest, if not the greatest human, but also he was just human. Every human being, apart from Jesus Christ, has a myopic vision. In other words, they are not able to see and have a complete vision of the perspective of everything that uh, around the world around us. They, don't, they, are, they are limited in their vision and their understanding. And John the Baptist was awesome and amazing. And he had understanding, a God-given uh, understanding into the, the mission of the Messiah and the mission um, that he was going to go undertake. But that's what he had. He was limited. He was so limited that even if you remember that even at the baptism of Jesus, um, it, was, it was John the Baptist that said, you know, hey, what are you doing trying to be baptized by me? <laughs> Remember when he said that? He said, no, I, I shouldn't, you shouldn't be baptized by me. It is actually the other way around. I should be baptized by you. I'm not even unworthy. I'm, I'm worthy to untie this, the, the sandals of you. You are so great. So even, G, even John the Baptist had understanding, but his was a limited perception, a limited understanding of Jesus and what he came to do. If he really believed that everything about Jesus, if he had a laser sight vision to everything that Jesus did, he would have known that Jesus would have to obey the law of God, in that case, to be sinless, and yet give himself and submit himself to be baptized and all holy and surrender to the law of God. And he would be going, okay, okay, Jesus, yeah, that's in the plan I see in the guidebook, I see in the checklist. In the Messiah checklist, yeah, let's go and do it. But John the Baptist did not. He had a limited understanding into the whole picture. And Jesus, as we, as great as John was, Jesus didn't match up to John's expectations as a uh, Messiah either. Because in those times, the expectation was to be a fighter, a judge, Somebody that would battle for the nation of Israel. In other words, 
Their first hope was to see that Israel would be delivered from the oppressors and would be delivered in power. Just like back in the old grand times in the Old Testament in Exodus, in which the Israelites were oppressed by their foreign oppressors, by Egypt, and then God sent a variety of, uh, uh, of plagues and showed his power that he was above every other god, showing his strength and his power. That's what the Messiah, the expectation of the Messiah um, in the Jewish uh, mindset uh, was. They believed that, that this Messiah would show his raw power. David's reign also created an expectation, a second expectation, that the Messiah would come in and be God's agent who would ascend the throne, rule in David's line, and put on judgment and destroy their enemy. But the problem was the Davidic kingdom, a long time ago, had failed. And then there was the exile where all the other kings that came after David um, that were supposed to bring back that, that glorious vision that, that Israel would be a conquering and a ruling and a victorious kingdom, all that failed. Where all the kings failed to bring the restoration that they had long wanted. So there was this raw hunger in the midst of this that they wanted God the Messiah to take back what was his and paired up with this that there would be a king or a Messiah that would ascend the rule of Israel and go beyond all expectations and militantly, militantly take over Rome and usher in a time, a reign of peace. But Jesus did not meet John's expectations at all. In fact, you can say that he failed him. Why? Well, think about this. John at this time, he is imprisoned. A lot of ha has happened since that baptism. Since the baptism of Jesus, John was arrested, and then he was sitting in a prison in a fortress awaiting his death, which we know will come later by beheading, right? And so think about this. If the Messiah would come and he would be promising as one of the prophecies that he would come and free the prisoners, why couldn't he just get John out of jail? Why were there no signs of the imminent judgment of the wicked that he had predicted? Jesus, I guess you were not the man that I was looking for. In fact, that's why I sent my disciples to ask, are you the one who is to come, or should I be looking for somebody else to get me out of this prison so I can start and begin the kingdom that you have long promised in Scripture? John was not depressed. He was angry. Jesus disappointed him. You know, and when we get disappointed because someone or God or others did not meet our expectations, we get disillusioned. And that's when we start asking God these questions of like, God, if you're really true and just and kind, why did you allow this tragedy to happen? Lord, why, why, did, you, why did you take my child into miscarriage? Lord, why, why, were there, why were there so much unrest and struggles in, in my life? Why have you created me in a family that I don't even know who my dad was? This week, I was asking the question, why? 
And many, many people were probably asking the question, God, why is there so much unrest? Why do two Asian women get stabbed while waiting at a bus stop? God, why do you let things like that happen? And when there's no answer that you've now put God in this box, you conclude that my questions assume that God needs to give me an immediate answer. And then secondly, if God doesn't give an immediate answer, then God doesn't care about us. And then thirdly, therefore, I am justified in my doubts. And when we follow this cycle too long, disillusionment, just like John's, sets in. Has Jesus ever seemed to fail your expectations? Have you ever sat in a prison of your doubt and your darkness? And maybe that's what you're sitting in right now. And you're saying, God, I guess you don't care about me. God, I am in this cycle of doubt and despair. I guess I haven't gotten any answers, God. I guess you don't care about me. Maybe others can't even give you one. You see, doubt can be a powerful weapon. It can be a powerful weapon to deliver us or destroy us. And I've had several friends who have gone through suffering and pain, and some of them have um, dealt with it in one way, in a very healthy way. And one of, the, one of my friends who's going through the roughest, the toughest struggle I can even imagine, on top of so many things, well, you can be disillusioned by the doubt. But you know what he told me? God is leading me into a deeper time of trust and intimacy with him. Man, I'm just like, wow. If you know what my friend is going through right now. That I've gone through others who have gone through suffering and pain and their doubts erode their hearts and they don't have a humility, but then it becomes one of hardness because they don't seem to get the answers that they are looking for. And, and if he really is God, then he would provide me these immediate answers, but since I'm not hearing, I'm out. And, we, and, and they never address our, your doubts with, with, with a heart of humility. And we put on our judgment hats and, and we say, this is, should never be the way. God, why am I sitting in this suffering? But we don't sit in judgment of God. God sits in judgment of us. We have a limited vision of God, and we don't always see why he acts. But our misunderstanding doesn't give us an excuse to not trust him, right? In fact, it should make us distrust ourselves. And if John had the wrong expectations, the greatest human being, in all of history, other than Jesus, shouldn't we suspect when they have them as well? You know, doubt can be healthy if we legitimately question the goodness of God with a, a teachable heart, and we want to explore it further in repentance and trust in Jesus, understanding we may not get all the answers that we are asking for, but rather we get a bigger picture of who God is and also that we feel a touch of him that goes deeper than we ever had experienced if we were not suffering. Amen? Have you ever felt closer to God when you're going through suffering and struggle than when, you have, when you're going through an easy street of time? I think that's so true. However, there's a dangerous form of doubt, and it's where we question the goodness of God with an accusatory heart and refuse to explore it further because we, we, we don't think we're wrong. 
And because we don't get the answers that we, don't, that, that we want, that it leads to unbelief. And when we don't get those answers that we want, they may not be God's answers either way. And when, but you start trusting your wisdom alone, then that becomes dangerous. And then we never suspect ourselves that it, it is you that might be, that might be uh, wrong or short-sighted. And maybe you just want a God who disagrees with you. <laughs> maybe you just want a God just to, 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 to only pat you on the shoulder and not confront you of where you're walking in sin. And the Bible tells us that that kind of God, where you just want a God to agree with you, a God to condone your sin and suffering, that's a God of your own making. You're, deif- you're making an idea a God in your own image if you just want a God who can just agree with you. Doubt can defy uh, or deify us and then lead us to defy God if we're not careful about our hearts. But this is not what John did. When John had doubts, he took it right to Jesus. And he gave word through his disciples, and he basically said, Jesus, here is my doubt. I may have been wrong about you, Jesus. But, Lord, prove me wrong. I want to be proved wrong. I'm willing to do that. Jesus, can you speak into it? So let's look at verse 4. And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. You know, on the surface level, Jesus kind of seems dismissive of John. Was he annoyed with John, as some uh, commentators would actually uh, talk about? I don't think he was actually annoyed with John. But I do think this, that Jesus um, gently rebukes John in his missed expectations. He's telling him loud and clear that he is the one to come, and and what he's doing in line is what you would expect from the Messiah. Apparently, John's disciples were there actually even to see some of of Jesus' miracles and his works before their very eyes, and Jesus lays it out. He says, look, look at what the Old Testament prophecies in Isaiah 61, 1 and 2 and other passages speak of of the Messiah. I mean, this was common knowledge of the time. You know, we're kind of like, uh, what are you talking about? Messianic prophecies? It's because every Jewish person of that time knew and read their Old Testament. Right? They knew the Pentateuch, the, Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, backwards and forwards. They knew it that it carried an expectation of a Messiah to come who would be greater than Abraham, who would come and save them from their sins. They knew that the prophets in Micah had prophesied that the new ruler, a ruler would arise from Bethlehem, a nobody town. And and the Jewish people, and especially not John, was not ignorant. And same here, though. I don't think in this society... We have access to the greatest, the most um, vast array of resources, not to mention that we have scriptures printed, orally given. You can even get, you know, scripture read to you over dance music or hip-hop music. Check out Streetlights. 
Not right now, but check it out. It's pretty cool, right? I mean, you have Scripture at your disposal to go anywhere. When you're on the road, when you're reading, when you are sitting alone, when you're just um, out there in the middle of nowhere, you could have it on your app or your smartphone. There is no, there's no, um, there's no, loss in terms of resources here. But yet, you see that all of us, we are ignorant of the book. Most of us, we go through doubt and we refuse to go to God. We refuse to believe what we have seen in Scripture. And and I I don't want to say that I'm undervaluing people who are valuing the Scriptures and fighting and wrestling. I don't want to demean the fact that our struggles and our sufferings are are hard and, and sometimes we are struggling through that. But I'm not talking about those who are battling with Scripture. I'm just saying that we are so quick to be disillusioned by the sins and stuff of this world that we look at everything else other than God's word. We look at Instagram. We look at pornography. We look at the self-help section. We look at our Amazon shopping cart. And we look at everywhere else except for his word. You just got to go back and look at, your, look, at, look at your Bible, John. Compare it with what you see. Then you'll get your answer. Amen? Turn back to Luke chapter 4, verse 16 to 21, and we see a real example of that. Luke chapter 4, verse 16 to 21. And, and Jesus is giving his first sermon, and Jesus is, is instructing his people and saying, look at the book. Don't look at your doubt. Look at the book. And he says, Luke chapter 4, verse 16, and he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, as was his custom. He went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. This is Isaiah 61, 1 to 2. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus says everything about the Messiah that he's going to do, shortest sermon you ever hear, that's all being fulfilled in me. And he closes the book. And then he's telling John, you look at your Bible, go read your Bible, Do you remember what the Messiah is going to do? Go back to your Bibles in Isaiah 61 and compare it and see what I'm doing. And once you see that, it's going to be a perfect match. Your disciples saw it too. So go and tell John, this is what that we saw in the Bible that that you're seeing here. Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Jesus is giving a rebuke to John. In fact, I think he's doing more than that. He's telling him, look, you're seeing the deaf being healed. You're seeing the blind receiving sight. You're seeing dead people who are, who are being risen like six feet under and coming back to life. The gospel is being proclaimed to the poor. You see all of this happening, and this is the gospel of the kingdom. Well, I'm not here to meet your puny expectations. I'm here to say that your expectations are wrong. The kingdom of God is not going to come the way you want it. I'm preaching to, not preaching to the rich. I'm preaching to the poor in spirit. 
I'm not bringing fire and judgment and going to take over the throne in a military coup. I come as a king of an invisible kingdom that is more powerful. It is spirit anointed. It is God infused. It has no end. I don't need a little throne of Rome. I don't need any little thrones on this, in this town. I sit on a throne in heaven and I am the king over all. My mission is as the Messiah, is that I'm going to purchase life by my death. I'm going to take judgment on myself, and I'm going to vindicate sinners who are lost and doomed to darkness and judgment before I take out the Roman Empire. So you look at the Bible, son. I'm that Messiah. And blessings are those who do not stumble or offended by me. You want to look for another, you go ahead. <laughs> Jesus doesn't ignore our doubts, but he presses in to our doubts. And honestly, we serve a Jesus that he doesn't have to match up to, his ex- to our expectations, but you need to match up your expectations with his. So as we close today, what expectations do you have for Jesus to cause you to doubt Jesus? That calls you to feel the fire, to have a doubt that he is working Maybe you are, you are tired and you are anxious and you are just ready for this whole season just to, to blow over and to go back to whatever is normal. Maybe you are praying that just everything will get better just for the sake of your own comfort. Well, God is gracious, and he's going to love you through it. He's going to care for you through it. He's going to walk through you. But he wants you to say, hey, I'm not accountable to your expectations. I'm not accountable to your timetable. Remember, he is the Lord of the universe, and he moves in whatever way he does. When you experience doubts, look at what you know. And the passage that I have closed with is this, Romans chapter 8, verse 32 and 33. He says, what then shall I say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How much more will he not also with him graciously give us all things? You may go through sufferings and struggles in your life. You may be assaulted by doubts and pain. But Jesus says, I gave my son for you. How much more? Will I then give you all things, even including the ability to be able to walk through your doubt and trust in me? We need to declare war on our guilt and we need to declare war on our doubts. And we gotta root out our sources of our doubt. We gotta see whether it's the enemies or whether it's God's. And then we gotta call out those lies and then go and stop listening to ourselves. But we need to preach to ourselves the gospel. So what doubt are you holding in your own heart that is preventing you from fully giving yourself in surrender to God? I want to challenge you to give him those things. He is worth it. He wants to do whatever is good in you. He wants to advance the kingdom through you. But we need to come before him and say, God, you are God who does whatever you please and whatever you please you do. God, do what you want with me. Let's pray together. And we're going to come to a time of prayer. And we're going to have some members in our prayer team come. 
they would love to pray for you for whatever is on your heart. If you are struggling through some deep level doubts and hurt from the disillusionment of the seemingly that God is not caring for you in your pain, I, I pray that today would be the end point where you renounce those lies, renounce those doubts, and you let it deliver you to God and to his care. Father, we ask that you would move in this place. We pray that we would not fall to misalignment. Even John the Baptist had expectations that were missed, that were misaligned, but yet, God, you used him and you spoke into him and you pressed into his doubts. Oh, God, do the same thing with us. We don't want anything to hold back our trust in you. Father, we pray that we'll be able to surrender everything in our heart, whatever anxiety or hurt or mistrust or grief, whatever we are going through at this moment, Father, we ask you would take it from us, you would deliver us through it, you would walk with us, and you would show us that you are at work in us, Father. Thank you, Father. We love you and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand. And I want to invite you to come forward for prayer. We just ask that one man not pray with one woman, but Lord, it would be just a great delight. And if there's anything else on your heart, we would love to pray for you as well. Let's continue to worship.